Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tales from the Trunk, <laughs> reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bithnyaks. Listeners, this November, I'm very excited to introduce a hearty proponent of NaNoWriMo, Nina Niskanen. Nina, welcome to the show! Thank you, Hilary. I am very pleased to be here. <laughs> I am very pleased to have you here, uh... I was I was thinking about all the people I knew who could talk my ear off about NaNoWriMo, and you were top of my list. Well, you certainly came to the right place. Excellent. Uh, for the benefit of people who do not have our video feed, which is all of our listeners, I couldn't help but crack up during the intro because we have been giving each other absolutely <laughs> queer double thumbs up. The entire time that we've been on this call. Yes, as, as Hillary said when we, when we began this call, excellent, we are both two thumbs up queer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get into the story, I just wanted to uh, give a second to talk about pronouns because we come yes. from two different places where I use they, them, and for legacy reasons, he, him pronouns. And Nina, you use she, her in English, but... I, I, I technically do, but um, as I keep re- keep telling everyone, Finnish only has one personal pronoun, so I will and absolutely do mess up everyone's pronouns, including mine. My <laughs> manuscripts are a nightmare to edit because everyone gets mis- misgendered. And... <laughs> Seriously, if I have never misgendered you, I just have not spoken enough about you. <laughs> I'm 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 sorry. I try. It's just hard. Linguistically fair. Yes. Uh so with that not out of the way, but with that said <laughs> because I thought it was important for people to know and because I just like languages. Languages uh, are know. awesome. Languages are the best. See, I'm 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 learning Spanish right now, and it's a nightmare because <laughs> everything is gendered. You cannot have a favorite cat. Well, you cannot have mi gato favorita. Uh, it's always, <laughs> always like <laughs> why? <laughs> it is everything. Everything is a gender. Everything is a tense. Yes. I I don't... Why? Why do you do this to yourself? Whereas in English, we just have, you know, everybody else's stuff that we mugged them for in a dark alley one time. (laughs) This is why moose and uh, goose are... um, 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 Pro-eyes Different multiples. Yeah. I was just laughing about the other night how, how, how funny it would be if Moose were meese. Yeah. I would like it if moose were meese or if goose were gooses. Yes. Either way. That Untitled nice. gooses game. Uh, so, Nina, you're going to be reading from The Golden Bees of the Black Stream. Yes. Is there anything we need to know about it before we get in? Not really. It's a short story. I don't think that I will have enough time to get through all of it. But no uh, it starts from the beginning and goes as long as it's going to go. Perfect. The Golden Bees of the Black Stream. Selma guided her daughter away from the cloud of bees. Tiny half-metal buddies zipped all around the two women. Selma held her breath as they shuffled past the final stragglers. Ada's hands were cupped around the failing queen from one of the four hives. The roar of the hive drowned out the constant hum of engines ever present since before Selma's birth. 
She let out her breath when the swarm retreated and Ada tipped the queen inside a glass jar. Selma might be able to salvage the parts that had gone into the queen, but the biological components were as good as dead. She was glad Ada had recovered the queen before the hive turned on her. She straightened, her bones creaking. She had been feeling her age lately. Where's the new queen? Ada asked. Selma wanted to slow down when all Ada seemed to want was move faster. Selma had never quite managed to connect with either of her children. Ada was brilliant but impatient, too fast in a ready-made world. Her son, Levi, was as quick and brash as brilliant, but his brilliance was with people. Neither seemed to think she had anything to teach them. You have to realize, Selma said, handing Ada the tiny cage that held the new queen. You can't place the new queen and hope everything will be all right. You need to prepare the hive or they'll finish her off. Ada smiled like she'd heard it all before, but she, which she probably had. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Selma did worry about it. The bees climbed up and down her skin, here and there, a more anxious individual giving herself a way out of the panic by stinging Selma. She always felt sorry for the bees. She had tried to engineer ones that didn't die when stinging, but they they had turned aggressive. She'd lost two colonies to the experiment, one that had been invaded and killed and the other at her own hands. The silence of the hives afterwards had been deafening. She shook herself to force the memory away. I know what I'm doing, Mom. You could retire tomorrow and nobody but the two of us would know the difference. Ada turned and immersed herself inside the swarm. Selma turned away from her daughter. She wasn't ready to give up any of it. She still had a trick or two to teach her daughter and maybe a second apprentice. She could still be useful to the ship's community and her bees still needed her. The hum of their tiny wings against her skin was as much a comfort to her as it was to them. The warning of an airlock breach rang through the ship, the sound loud enough that Selma could feel it vibrating through her. Selma staggered to the security screens to see youngsters gathered around the airlock, shouting their ecstatic youth. Someone was about to do something stupid. (laughs) There would be another round of meetings in the vein of, we all need to pitch in to keep the ship safe and heading to our destination. The two sister ships, Midnight Queen and Crimson Prince, both filled to capacity with people who would never live anywhere else. Selma couldn't help but curse the naivete of the ship's designers. They had designed a thing that was dangerous for incompetence and then added generations of bored teenagers with easy access. Selma could understand the need for a support vessel to visually confirm that everything was all right. Selma could even see the necessity for the crew of the Swan to get elsewhere than the tiny support ship and get supplies. She could also see why the crew would need airlocks on both ships to get in and out of their posting. But the designers had solved the problems of mechanics without ever considering the biological components. Security would take care of the foolhardy idiot before anything terrible happened. Selma was about to return to her work when the crowd shifted and Selma Selma saw the airlock. A tall, handsome young man stood inside it, a glass of something raised high, his long red hair obscuring the woman he was kissing. Selma stared, hoping that what she saw wasn't real. Then the two ended the kiss and her son spoke to the crowd, raising his glass higher. Mom, where are you going? Selma was running before she knew what she was doing. Levy was going to launch himself into the void with minimal protective gear to prove his masculinity. It was possible to reach the support vessel circling the two sister ships if you timed it right. Your aim was true and you were in good shape. But it was such a stupid, reckless thing to do. It was the kind of thing she should have known to expect from Levy. Her gait had not been anything like easy for a long time, but she made an effort. Soon she was running full tilt through the ship and its endless corridors. People alone and in couples scattered from her path as she ran. Someone had managed to get the airlock warning turned off. Her heart hammered harder than the drumming of the bees against her skin. 
She could feel some of them falling away in her rush, but she had to trust that they would either catch up or find their way back to the hives, back to Ada as the other continuous presence in their lives. As the number of people around her grew, the energy of the crowd made her skin itch. The outermost groups were nervous and somewhat judgmental, but still needing to have been there. Nervousness soon turned to excitement and jubilation. There were more sober individuals scattered here and there. Even the council's chairwoman had shown up. Soon Selma found herself pressing through the throng, her remaining bees getting more and more agitated as she did so. The crowd was chanting and Selma knew she was going to be too late. She pushed a boy twice her size into the crowd and elbowed another in the ribs, prompting shouts of indignation. She ignored them all and kept going. She could see the door leading to the airlock over the heads of taller, younger people, all of them shouting encouragement, convinced of their own immortality and by extension Levi's. The door was closing in front of her eyes. She wouldn't make it. She shouted, but couldn't make her voice rise above the cacophony. Her bees had fallen behind all but one, clinging to her sternum, wings vibrating. Or maybe it was Selma's heart. She reached the doors and threw herself against them over and over. She banged her fist against them, willing them to open. When they wouldn't, she elbowed her way to a viewport. She watched watched as the gold and crimson arrow that could be no one but her son shot out of the side of the ship toward the looming gray and red figure of the crimson prince. The smaller, blinding white swan came sliding out from the left side. Her heart was in her throat as Selma watched her son reached for, reach for the swan as he passed it. His full hand skimmed it as it went went his momentum too great for the grazing touch to slow it even with the magnetic gloves she saw the movement of the swan's crew as they were a little too late to catch him somewhere in the crowd someone whooped in disappointment not realizing what it meant that levy hadn't stopped selma couldn't breathe as she watched her son slide toward the crimson prince knowing that when he did he would be frozen Her hand flew to her mouth as she watched the streak hit against the side of the Crimson Prince to shatter like confetti. She fell to the floor, her hand grasping the wall. As the people around her disappeared in ones and twos, the bees came back. They covered her, hiding her from curious eyes. He didn't make it, did he? Ada asked. Selma shook her head. Ada sighed and seemed to fold in on herself as she sat down next to Selma. Selma grunted as she turned away from the wall to stare at the crowd with her daughter. Shocked faces and guilty shuffling had replaced the fervor of minutes before. Ada leaned her head in her hands. So he's gone? Selma shook herself, getting up in one determined movement. The bees that had found her buzzing across her skin. She noticed that some of the bees were clinging to Ada as if she were their queen. Selma pushed the thought away firmly. Selma's body started to hum like a hive waking up after hibernation. She needed to move. She needed to do something. She wanted to shake the world down to its smallest components and build it back up again with her son back as he had been. She wanted the wound gone, not just scarred over, but erased, as if it had never been there. Selma spotted the council's chair standing on her own at the edge of the dispersing crowd. Ada must have also noticed her because she reached out to snatch Selma's forearm. Mom, please don't. Selma leaned down to her daughter, cupping her cheek and ignoring the tears flowing over and between her fingers. Ada, I have to do this for your brother. I can bring him back. Mm. She wasn't as sure as she was letting on, but she knew Ada would be happier not knowing the details. Ada stared straight into her eyes and Selma couldn't tell if the pain she saw there was for herself or her brother. You don't always have to be the one to clean up his messes. Selma leaned forward and kissed Ada on the forehead. The tips of Ada's curls pressed into her nose and surrounded her with a scent that made her feel 20 years younger, comforting a skinned knee. 
She pulled away, managing to shake a couple of bees loose, leaving them behind to crawl across Ada's shoulders. They looked soothing. For less than a fraction of a second, she envied her bionic bees their humanity. It is my duty. Ada looked beatific, her dark brown eyes fixed on Selma, the bees part metallic bodies contrasting against her amber skin. For the first time, she realized that Ada had never shied away from her bees. She almost reached out again to caress her daughter's cheek. Instead, she turned and strode through the emptying bay. Ada would understand. She always did. Mm. A few good strides brought her close to the council's chairwoman, Madame Hilka, stood in a prim pose that made her look like a statue, a frozen moment that would never have a next one. A high collar framed her face like the cell of a honeycomb around a hatching larva. Her graying dark brown hair was pulled off her face in a severe bun. She looked regal and Selma knew full well that was intentional. Not here. It was all Hilka said before she turned on her heels and walked away. Selma followed in silence. A twinge in her back reminded her of her age when she wrenched open a heavy door before it had a chance to close behind Hilka. Mm -hmm. She drew herself up, forcing herself not to wince as she followed the woman who had been her friend a lifetime ago. The room beyond was a smaller chamber with just a small round table and two chairs, the walls lined with fabric. Hilka drew a curtain across the doorway as soon as Selma got through. She crossed her arms over her chest and looked about ready to sting. No more than one queen to a hive, Selma re reminded herself. What do you want, Selma? I'm busy. My son. Hilka let out a startled laugh. You expect me to wake the dead now? Selma shook her head. Don't worry about that. What? You'd use precious resources just to get back pieces to recycle? I think we can deal with losing one person's biomass to the void. Selma balled her hands into fists. Mm. She didn't realize there was a bee inside her left palm. It stung her, but the pain registered too late. Before she could stop herself, the small body got crushed inside her fist, the metal parts lodging themselves in her palm. The pain mm. centered her into the moment. Even if he had been successful, he put other lives in jeopardy. And for what? A chance at my daughter's bed? He can't be controlled. Let it be. Selma closed her eyes and breathed deep. As much as she wanted to give her anger the reins, she knew that Hilka could harm her much worse. Hurting people was all about finding the pressure points and pressing until the victim screamed. And Hilka had always mm. been very good at finding pressure points. I can make him better. You can't be serious. You can raise people from the dead and you never told anyone. Selma could still see the traces of the little girl Hilka had been, the one Selma had thought would be her best friend forever. Hilka had been so cool and exciting back then. Selma still couldn't tell where the two of them had gone wrong. Maybe they both changed or had the calculation in Hilka's eyes been there even then? Under certain conditions, Selma said. She could feel the numbers marking the value placed upon her and hers inside Hilka's brain. She walked over to one of the chairs and suppressed the grunt when she sat down. Have you tested this? Selma saw the greed in the other woman's eyes. Of course I haven't tested it. Don't be absurd. Then how do you... I know, all right? How could she explain how the bodies of living beings had always sung to her? It was as if she vibrated in a different tune to everyone around her, including her children. How could she explain the way she knew things about where to prod and where to pull to get living bodies to do her bidding? Especially to a person who saw the world in wins and losses. And you need my help with the resources to be able to go walk about outside to gather the pieces, yes? Selma swallowed. She knew the price would be something she couldn't afford to give. Yes. Hmm. What are you offering in return? Selma fought to draw the next breath. Anything. Hilka stopped her pacing. 
Selma shifted as she realized that Hilka's eyes had focused on the bees instead of her. You can't handle the bees. Even Ada can barely control them. Hilka shuddered. I'm not interested in the bees. <laughs> Despite the words, the hunger in her eyes clued Selma to the situation. You want the honey. Selma hated that she could read Hilka's face so well. How much? Hilka shrugged as if it didn't matter. Everything. Selma mm. went pale. That's not... Not possible, Hilka in interrupted. Selma shook her head, her eyes wide with shock. The ship, the ship can get its stores from me, at a cost, of course. What about Ada? Mm. She can, of course, keep working with the bees for as long as she wants. Never in her life had Selma expected that Hilka would dare to demand a monopoly, not to mention on something so crucial to all life on the ship for generations to come. She would demand Selma sign her daughter up for servitude just to create power. The idea nauseated her. Here's the deal. I get you the equipment to go walk about. Only you, no one else. I don't care how you gather the pieces, but you do it in 12 hours. That's all the oxygen I'm willing to give you. In exchange, you give me exclusive rights to the honey your bees produce in the hives you have now. Hilka had been there when she'd made her first hive. It had taken her entire life to create the four hives she had. There wouldn't be more during her lifetime. As if she could see into her thoughts, Hilka said, and you'll of course maintain the hives as long as you're alive. You'd steal from my daughter to allow me to save my son. I'm not completely heartless, Hilka said with a small chuckle. I'll pay somewhat less than what you're used to costs, you know. Guilt rose up like bile, burning Selma's lungs as she tried to breathe. She was talking about taking away Ada's livelihood, too. I can't, she whispered. Hilka shrugged as if the matter at hand were inconsequential to her. I'm sure the memorial will be beautiful, she said, and turned to leave the antechamber. Wait, Selma spoke before she knew she meant to. This was the only deal available to her. Hilka stopped where she stood. Yes, she said without turning. You've got a deal, Selma said. She waited for the ship to rise around her and swallow her in one big foul lump. She had to hope that Ada would forgive her. Hilka clapped her hands together, still not turning to look at Selma. Wonderful. You'll find the gear in the bay by the time you're done dropping off your bees. Wouldn't want the poor darlings to get damaged, would we? The door shutting behind Hilka made no sound, and Selma thought it fitting. Her world ended silently and without anyone much noticing. Ooh. Oh, that is crushing and amazing and just makes me mad at boys. <laughs> I mean, it's totally fair since uh, it's essentially a retelling of the story of Lemminkainen from Kalevala. And mm. um, basically, the story of Lemminkainen is um, a story that makes you mad at boys. I'm pretty uh -huh. sure the people who wrote Kalevala were mad at boys. I mean, there's a lot to be mad at about boys, so... Yes. Uh I absolutely adored that, and I love a good retelling, and also love a retelling of a story that I'm not familiar with, which, you know, to be very, fair, very, there are a lot of few, them. Very few people are, fair, <laughs> are familiar with Kalevala, although uh, when I was a clarion, um, um, we we got tickets to Comic-Con and uh, one of the vendors there, uh, he was selling, can't remember what he was selling, but I bought a t-shirt off him that says, um, fight evil, read books. <laughs> nice. And um, he, he knew what Kalevala is. And I was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I suppose that, Comic-Con would be a place where you would find people. Sure, like yes. <laughs> um, 
That's that is delightful. I I was just like I was going through uh some of your pictures on Facebook because I wanted to uh show my wife your dog last night. Oh, and yes. I saw a whole bunch of pictures from uh from Clarion and from Comic-Con and I was yeah. like, "Oh yeah." Nina did that. And you, I, I did uh, do you that. Were there with, it was with it Karen was a Osborne. decade ago, at least in pandemic time. But it was oh, in yeah. two, 2017. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a while ago. It was a while ago. <laughs> it's funny. Um, last year felt so long, and this year has felt so short. Yeah, I mean we've. We've been saying it on this show practically since, realistically, since the second episode when Sarah Hollowell was on. But time is fake. Time is totally fake. I agree. Uh, and you know we're we're sitting here recording this at the end of September, but by the time this goes up, it will be almost two thirds of the way through NaNoWriMo. So time is really, really fake. Time is totally fake. Um, so I, you know, had you on specifically because I wanted to, uh, talk NaNoWriMo. I also had you on because I wanted to, like, get to hang out with you in person, I mean, hang- virtually. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen you since, uh, San Jose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also 2017. That's right! No, <laughs> no that was 2018 because... I uh I I came home after Clarion and I was dead. I came That's home right. on Sunday and Wednesday was the Worldcon cross the street. <laughs> which was That's right. the Worldcon was in Helsinki then. Yeah. Good good on you for remembering that cuz I have just been thinking that it was it was like, oh yeah, Worldcon 76 2017 <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, see, 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 the thing is, um, uh, a lot of, because as you can imagine, I am very, um, shall we say, comfortably located for uh-huh. Worldcon, since it's like, um, across the street and maybe like a hundred meters, which is about, about 330-ish feet. Sure. Sounds, <laughs> sounds, sounds good. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's really close. So I had a house full of fans and writers, well, house, Uh, I live in an apartment, uh, but like the, the place was full. Like there was one person staying in this room. There was one person staying in the room next, next to me. There was someone staying on the floor of my sewing room. And on, and for the first, first night there was someone staying on our couch, so, Delightful. So there were a lot of people here, and I had to be a, a sort of acceptable host right after Clarion. <laughs> Three days after Clarion, I was being being a host. So that yeah, was... that is a. I mean, we we are right now talking from that amount of time zone difference. That is no joke. No joke, and it was after Clarion too. Like I was very, very um shall we say, sleep-deprived and so done mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with, with the brain. <laughs> I cannot had no brain, brain cannot words. No. No. Uh, so for, for people who might not be familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what the Clarion Workshop is? So the Clarion and Clarion West Workshops, uh, they're um, six-week residential um Writing workshops, essentially. So you have mm-hmm. um, different teachers every week, except at least in uh, Clarion UCSD. Um, the two two last weeks are usually taught by two people, and they're they're the. So, for example, we had um, 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 Charles Finley and um, um, come on now. Why am I? Why am I only coming up with uh, Rem Wigmore? It's not Rem Wigmore. It's um, <laughs> come on. I even have her books in my. Just a second. No worries. Ray Carson. Oh, God yeah. Damn it. 
There we go. Oh, yeah. Can I can I curse on this show? Of course. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so yeah, Ray Carson and Charlie Finley were were our um, uh, teachers for the last two weeks, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's sort of common. So you'll have two teachers for the last two weeks, and they're they're the same two teachers for those two weeks. Uh, so yeah, you, 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 and every week, uh, everyone is sort of semi expected to, uh, write a short story and then critique mm-hmm. 17 others. So, <laughs> so really, if, you, if, if, if you, if you want to get the clarion experience without doing the residential route, just get 17 of your closest writing buddies together and just, <laughs> critique each other's stories for <laughs> every week yeah. for for six weeks and you know, we'll get the and experience certainly a lot cheaper than getting to san jose mm. absolutely i mean for for most people i will say for yeah. me pretty easy just like a uh, 10 to 12 hour drive but. i mean sure but like yeah um i think i had Almost that amount of flying. <laughs> and that That's was, a bunch. It was a bunch, yeah. But at least I got I got um, my flights were pretty direct, if I remember correctly. So That's I didn't good. have like a huge layover or anything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my flights were direct, so that was good. Yeah, but, uh, as far as things go, not too bad. No, not too bad. Um, so, uh, I know words. I know how <laughs> sure. to <laughs> I mean, words, there are a lot of words. There at are least, a lot of words. At least I, you don't have the best words. It's true. I don't have the best words. I, I have some words in a number of different languages. That's worth something. There you go. I, I have words in, in... English and Spanish and a little bit of German and a tiny bit of Latvian and a tiny bit of Japanese. That's like a lot more words than a lot of people have. That's that's true. Although I can I can top you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I am fluent in Finnish and English. Uh, I also know a helpful amount of um, Swedish, French, and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of German, a few words of um, Japanese and Russian, but uh, a lot of the stuff that I know in Russian is not necessarily all, very, all that helpful. <laughs> uh, I had a, a friend of mine who, who uh, painstakingly taught me to say, uh, hit me hard and call me comrade in Russian. <laughs> I am not going to be saying that in Russian <laughs> anywhere in Russia. No, no. I can I can think of more useful phrases like yes. maybe can we come to an agreement? <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. Um so it is it is now when people are hearing this uh two thirds of the way through NaNoWriMo and uh you as I have mentioned a strong proponent of NaNoWriMo. Uh, can you talk a little bit about where you got started with NaNoWriMo and uh, where you are now? So, um, I I kind of stopped writing. So I wrote a lot when I was a teenager. I, I, mm-hmm. I even once um, did my... Um, uh, my sister got a, a sort of... Uh, for for um, you would probably say Finnish homework, but we say mother tongue homework. Mm-hmm. Um, she she was assigned to write a very short story or a flash fiction story, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the prompts was, um, I think it was a twisted fairy tale or something like that, um, and I was just. I liked the prompt so much that I wrote <laughs> her homework, which she didn't turn in. 
but I wrote her homework because I wanted to write it so much. Nice. But 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 then I don't know. Maybe it's cause, so I um after the Soviet Union fell, uh, I grew up in a pretty food insecure household. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you you kind of develop this tendency to want things to come in uh, in um in a very order- orderly fashion. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a real job. Mm-hmm. So uh, I bounced around a while and then settled for IT, which is you know it's a real job. Yeah, oh. you can't you can't tell me otherwise. No. Nope. I, as an IT professional myself, definitely a real job. Definitely. <laughs> anyway, so um, I stopped writing for for a long time uh, when I when I grew up. <laughs> um, but then I had my first burnout, mm-hmm. <laughs> and unlike in the U.S., we get actual sick leave. Oh, so, yeah. yep. so I was assigned, I think I was assigned something like six weeks of sick leave. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do with myself with all this time? <laughs> so I started writing again. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, um, this was in 2009, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, it was it was uh, right before NaNoWriMo. And I think... It might have been on writing excuses or um, possibly on um, I should be writing. Oh, uh-huh. Where someone talked about NaNoWriMo and, and I was like, okay, that sounds fun. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like it was like four days into um, the NaNoWriMo in 2010. Um that I found out about it and I was like, okay, yes, let's write a novel. That sounds fun. Um, and, uh, that was it. That's I've done <laughs> NaNoWriMo most years and also camp NaNoWriMo for most, most years after that. Fantastic. Um, as I think I talked about on the post NaNoWriMo episode last year, I, have done NaNoWriMo a handful of times in the past. Last year was the first time I actually, quote-unquote, won. I didn't actually finish my book, but I crossed the 50k threshold. See, unless you're Karin Tidbeck, it's unlikely (laughs) that you will have finished your book in 50,000 words. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, like, Macy will do that, too. Mm. Fair. Well, Macy will finish her book. It won't be 50,000 words. Yeah, no. But, no. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Karin's work is so wonderful and compact. Compact and yet, like, somehow luscious. Mm hmm. Like, they, they have an amazing ability to just make you feel things. Mm hmm. It's. Yeah, there there is something there's something there that I do not know quite how to articulate, but it's really impressive. Yep. Uh if I if I remember correctly, you're also in the uh I won't say organizational side, but the like motivational side of NaNoWriMo as well. I'm I'm not officially <laughs> like Okay. <laughs> I don't think, um, like, I, I I do, like, I tend to write blog posts and, and like, Twitter encouragements, like, go! Mm-hmm. You can do it! Like, even, like, so my thing about NaNoWriMo is that even if you don't technically win, mm-hmm. you're still, you're still making a lot of progress. and. Mm-hmm. I really like the tools that Nano like I don't I don't win every year. I <laughs> I win like every third year or so. Not bad. But um I really like the tools that NaNoWriMo puts out. Like 
on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They have the the writing sprints on on the actual site itself. They have the count uh, count up. word tracker. Yeah, the the word tracker. Mm-hmm. And and you can you can see a lot of statistics, and I really like statistics. Statistics mm-hmm. are awesome. <laughs> NaNoWriMo is great if you like to put numbers in a spreadsheet and see the bar go up. Yes, hello. Have you met me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely appreciate. Like, I think I probably was following you on Twitter before we became friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because, like. Even though I I had not been making a serious go at NaNoWriMo, I was like, oh, this person is encouraging. <laughs> Thank like, you. They seem awesome. Thank and you. fact is, you are. Thank you. I, 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 I always love hearing that because, of course, um, A, I'm Finnish. So I, yeah. I tend to think of myself as, as um, fairly average. Uh-huh. <laughs> And of course, I'm a writer and bisexual, so that means I'm, of course, trash. <laughs> We're all trash here. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you also uh, have taken classes with Mary Robin at co I have, yes. And um, as somebody who has also taken one of Mary Robinette's <laughs> classes... Uh, I know that for me, that was a really, like, huge turning point in my yeah. writing. I, uh, I'd I, love to hear a little bit about your experience with seriously, that. Seriously, I, I was, um, I think I was in her second, when she's, she used to do these six-week um, uh, online intensives. Mm-hmm. About, I think it was about short story writing, and... Um, I, I think I was in her second class of of that. Uh, she has mm-hmm. since stopped doing them, but like it it was it was definitely was transformational. I was uh, I was it was in two thousand ten or two thousand eleven. I think, like very early in my writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was trying to think like about when those started happening, and that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was very early in my writing, and it was it was very it was like really it was um, well. First of all, I I got my first actual writing friends who who mm-hmm. who to turn to. I tried doing um, online writing workshop for critique, but mm-hmm. I kind of lost my um, interest in that once I I got this critique, and that was my last critique on online writing workshop. Um, where the person, uh, the entire critique was about how uh, the first person point of view is trash. Oh, and not my not my usage of it. Like he, uh-huh. uh, they they said that my usage of it was fine, but that the entire concept of the first person point of view is trash. And oh. I was like, oh. Okay, that's not really useful for me. Uh huh. I I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. Yes. So so that was sort of sort of when I when I when I stopped going to mm-hmm. online writers workshop. But like Mary Robinette's um, class sort of gave me my first writing friends because I I mm-hmm. didn't know where to get writing friends uh here uh, who are also who are writing in english because a lot of my friends Mm uh the a lot of the people that i know from fandom circles and and such uh they write in finnish and Mm -hmm. that it's while it's very interesting to talk about the finnish language and the usage of finnish language uh but Mm -hmm. it's it's I, I I want an audience. I want a big audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Finland is five million people. Let's say there's maybe very generous estimate a hundred thousand more people around the world who speak Finnish. Mm-hmm. That's not all of them are going to be interested in space opera and queers doing yep <laughs> science fictiony things. <laughs> so yeah, that's. 
that's uh about a million less than the metro population of Philadelphia where yeah. I grew up. Yeah. So, Granted, not all of Philadelphia is interested in science fiction and fantasy no, and, and queers in space, but <laughs> so yeah. Nevertheless, so yeah, that was that was sort of a um, like the Mary Robinette does a great job at teaching the the craft of fiction and like the. Mm-hmm. Her class was the first place where I sort of got this idea that there can be craft involved in commercial fiction as well. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, you you hear this stuff like, first person is trash! Yeah. But also, like, science fiction is facile! Yeah. I mean, as somebody who went through an entire undergraduate writing program, like... Yeah. I you know, I spent my whole program pretty much trying to convince people that there's value in science fiction. Yeah. And like I didn't have the vocabulary at the time but to push back against the idea of uh this phrase transcends genre which just means yeah. we don't want them to be science fiction because Fuck we value their work. That noise. Absolutely. Like seriously. And it's it's just it's so interesting when um literary fiction authors just go into just go and take <laughs> science fiction concepts and then just not like think that they are doing something like there was um uh Ian McEwan. Mhm. He he wrote this entire book about how robots are people really and it's like <laughs> Yeah, this was this was explored in I don't know, the forties. Yeah. I think the first one I came across was data, but that was because I was I was born in eighty one and Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. Yeah. Star Trek was very big in, in the sa- in, in on, on Saturday afternoon in Finnish television, so Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, like, you know, I, I I see, I'm very happy for students now because I yeah. see more, like, genre-focused or genre-inclusive classes where yeah. people are, like, teaking, for, for instance, Ursula K. Le Guin without saying, oh, yeah, but she transcended genre. Like, yeah. No, like, Left Hand of Darkness <laughs> is... Essential feminist science fiction. It's it's very firmly set in in science fiction conventions, and it's it's like it uses the language of genre, and it uses the sort of assumptions of genre. Like, um, mm-hmm. I just wrote a blog post about how how a lot of people miss contexts of stuff, like basically. Mm-hmm. I have this vague memory that there's a five-minute dick joke monologue in Shakespeare's one of Shakespeare's plays. Oh, certainly. Yeah, <laughs> and and like a lot of modern audiences miss it, and they mm-hmm. especially miss it because places like um, the Royal Shakespeare Company. I am totally dragging on the, sh- <laughs> the Royal Shakespeare Company insists on doing Shakespeare as closely to what he was what what the experience was mm-hmm. back in the day and it's like but you're missing so much context and like mm-hmm. the left hand of darkness is so much in conversation with all of the genre like mm-hmm. there's if if you don't have that sort of if you're trying to take it away from genre and the conversation it was having you're missing like half of the half of the story yeah yeah i'm just thinking like i i don't think you can understand books like that really like you don't have to read heinlein to understand but like understanding where heinlein was in his career and like the ways that 
Left Hand of Darkness isn't directly in conversation with Heinlein, but, like, is in conversation with the things that were happening in, yep. like, bro science fiction space. Yes! Like, like, missing all of that, like, the whole the whole gender thing in, in Left Hand of Darkness and, and the... Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I can't remember the... Anyway. Um, I've been trying to think of the title for... For like this entire conversation, yeah. so don't worry, we're in the <laughs> same spot. That's good. Uh, names are hard. Names are so hard. But like the whole and like the way that um, the women men don't see is in conversation mm-hmm. with uh, the left hand of darkness and other like all of the stuff that's happening, and you're missing so much if you just transcend genre yeah like fuck that noise fuck it so hard sideways 100 percent um so i just heard this weird noise i don't know if it came through it never seems to come through on the the microphone but this blue police box just showed up in my office and (laughs) i'm wondering if we could step into this time machine and go back and talk to younger writer Nina about anything that you wish you had known. Oh, God. Um, so I definitely, I definitely wish that I had known how important it was to just write what you love. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the Golden Bees is, is, is a very good example. That was, I wrote that in, um... 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. 2015 or 2014. So I spent years, years trying to write American science fiction. That mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. was my first try of writing Finnish science fiction, but in English. Mm. And sort of that's been one of the the big things that I need to learn. I still, I'm, I'm still trying to learn. As, as mm-hmm. just you know, bleed on the page, mm-hmm. and and just trying to make it. This was actually one of the one of the biggest um, uh, critiques that Charlie gave me in, in Clarion is that mm-hmm. I want to see the Nina in this story, and I'm like, but it's sort of there. <laughs> Charlie is so good at giving feedback. He's so very, very good. Like his, I would always when he was still. I haven't finished a new short story in a year because fuck twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, um. When he was still editing uh, fantasy and science fiction, I would pretty much always send my stories to him first because he gave such nice rejections. Mm-hmm. That would Mood. it would be such a such a pleasure to just. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Between a rejection that I got from him uh, the second time he guest edited an issue before he came on and took over from Gordon Van Gelder uh, was right after I took uh, my weekend intensive with Mary Robinette. Right. And so he gave me a very nice rejection that I didn't quite know what to do with and then I like the following weekend was my writing intensive and I did that and I like finished that intensive read back over this rejection and I was like oh I understand what happened here switched around like three paragraphs cut one paragraph Sold that story to the next market I sent it to. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It, and and it remains, like, one of my proudest achievements, partly just because I got to to sell a Sysadmin horror story. <laughs> <laughs> that's all about uh, 
monsters in a physical air gap. Are there coders who don't comment? There aren't coders who don't comment, but there are. Uh, there's there's toxic masculinity and uh, sounds about right. A lot of descriptions of server rooms. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So one of the things that gets talked about a little bit in NaNoWriMo and that uh, just in general, and that I know that we are both harping on all the time on our respective Twitters, just in general, is taking care of your information. Yes! So before we get going, <laughs> let's hear your spiel. Because yes. I think people are sick of it from me. Back up all your shit! You don't want to be the asshole who, who sells a story and then cannot find it. Save, mm-hmm. save your contracts and your financial information in a place where you can find it within a reasonable amount of time. You don't want to be the asshole who spends an entire evening that you could have been productive in trying to find that one contract to see where the um, uh, reversion clause is on that Mm -hmm. particular contract. And also use a password manager. Password managers are very, very important. I cannot stress this enough. You do not want to be the asshole who cannot remember a password and then loses all of the, um, well, so I I use a, 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 a service called For the Words to write. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Basically, all of my rough drafts are uh, rough drafts are there, and I uh, tend to move them to my Scrivener and to a sort of physical location mm-hmm. uh, once a scene is done. So you don't want to be the asshole who forgets <laughs> and cannot retrieve a password because yeah. because you know. And, and, and two-factor authentication, because two-factor, two-factor, authentication two-factor authentication is very, very important. And treat your security questions like passwords, because they yes. are. So don't don't give the away the answers to your security questions on Facebook memes where people are just doing engagement farming. No! And also, perhaps, consider not answering that exact question. Yeah. Because, like... like even if you even if you stay away from uh, all of the, the those sort of memes, I am absolutely certain that my mother's maiden name is findable on mm-hmm. on the on the on the social medias or, or or on the internets. Yeah, be be aware of your information security. Use a password manager. Don't reuse your passwords. Don't give away your security question answers. Back your shit up. Also, uh, this is not as as um, applicable in the U.S., but if you're elsewhere, uh, don't post your address uh, publicly online mm-hmm. because, well, A, you might get stalkers. Uh, that's, that is applicable to the U.S. But yeah. um, what's more applicable elsewhere is that uh, your address can be used to send you bills and then, yeah. Yeah. Also, I would like to uh, plug a podcast called um, Darknet Diaries, which is... Oh, that's such a good show. It's such a good show! And it's not just for the technically uh, technically um, inclined. Inclined? Yeah, because it... Th- he does such a good job explaining uh, why things matter in a relatable way. And mm-hmm. it's... Well, I think it's relatable, but then again, I've been pro- a programmer for yeah. 15 years, so maybe I'm not. <laughs> I I think it's a really fascinating show. I really enjoy it as a person yes. who's also, you know, information security adjacent. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of... I don't I don't think it gets overly technical. I think no. it just gets to a place where like it it is 
enjoyable sort of thriller adjacent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thriller, thriller adjacent is very good. It's, um, he talks, like he's done a few um, online heists. Mm-hmm. And there was this, uh, there was this one Bangladeshi heist that just really sticks out in my mind, where basically um, uh, a criminal group in, well, a state-funded criminal group in, mm-hmm. in North Korea uh, did shit with with banks because they found out shit that was that uh, basically. They didn't necessarily need to hack the systems because mm-hmm. they hacked the people, and mm-hmm. it was—it's like it's very cool to me how 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 there are so many vulnerable parts to mm-hmm. everything that we do, and and Darknet Diaries does a really brilliant job of of just you know, yeah, reminding you of all of this. Um. For for you and for listeners, uh, very related to that, I'm going to recommend uh, a limited run podcast series from the BBC called The Lazarus Heist. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which is also about uh, North Korea hackers. It is specifically, it starts off being about the Sony hack yeah. uh, that follow, that like happened around the time that that film, The Interview, came out. Uh, and ends up being like this huge like intrigue thing that it, it's it's such a great show and again it's like it's produced for not a technical audience right so like there's enough technical breadcrumbs that the people like us who are listening to it are like oh yeah <laughs> that's cool but, you know it's produced for for just anybody to understand because it is, you know, from the BBC for a mass market. And it is really great. Uh, Links to both of these shows will be in the show notes, as always. Um, And finally, uh, before we get going, you already mentioned Darknet Diaries. Is there anything else you've been consuming recently that you'd really (gasps) recommend? So so this is not going to help your audience, but uh, (laughs) I've been listening to this... um, a uh, Finnish podcast called Herrasmies Hackerit, which is basically uh, Gentleman Hackers. Uh, it is a show hosted by um, uh, basically two of Finland's oldest working um, information security professionals. Nice. Uh, you might know the name Mikko Hyppönen. Oh, oh, yep. Yeah. He's one of the hosts. Nice. Well, uh, (laughs) links will be to that as well in the show notes if you are a Finnish-speaking person or if you know somebody who speaks Finnish who would be interested in that sort of stuff. The other thing that I've been reading is um, uh, Atomic Atomic Robo, I think. Mm. Um, it's It's a comic I'm reading it in Spanish because, again, I'm trying to learn Spanish. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, it's so far I'm really liking it. Uh, I'm I'm nice. understanding about a third and then needing to translate the rest, but mm-hmm. I'm still I'm 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 liking it enough that it's keeping me going. Nice. Yeah, I I have a copy of uh, Fellowship in Spanish, uh, Very Fellowship nice. of the Rings in Spanish that uh, my dad picked up somewhere and said you took Spanish would you be interested in having this and I was like yeah I would and yeah same thing I get about a third of it like I feel like if I'd had this you know two decades ago I would have gotten a lot more out of it because I would have actually been studying Spanish actively but I I I actually passed my uh so in Finland uh the the final file finals are called matriculation exams um mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh from high school uh there are different exams for vocational schools but um so i basically passed my uh swedish matriculation uh because i kept reading tuve jansson who is a, <laughs> a uh finnish swedish writer and i read her in Sw- I love Swedish. 
I love Moomin Troll. Yes, but oh, sorry. No, sorry. Um, I'm thinking of the wrong one. Uh, I read no, sorry. I read Astrid Lindgren, who is actually a Swedish writer. Okay, yeah. But I did also read Duva Jansson. It's just that I read yeah. <laughs> Finnish. <laughs> but the Moomins are great. The Moomins are great. Yeah, the Moomins are excellent. But uh, the the uh, one of the ones uh, uh, I read is Velian Leon Me Brother Leon something I can't remember the Swedish title. <laughs> and anyway, it's uh, it's um, <laughs> it's it's a um, children's book wherein the brother, the beloved brother, older brother of a very sick young child dies in like the first 10 pages. Oh my goodness. And then he himself dies like 10 pages after that. So, so this is, this is the kind of thing to expect when Uh speaking to Finns and Swedes. I was going to say, that sounds very Scandinavian. Yes, it's very Scandinavian. <laughs> or Nordic, I should say, because Finland is not a Scandinavian country. There we go, yes. Very Nordic. Yes. Um, so before we get going, where can our listeners find you? Uh, so most of the time for writing, you can find me on Twitter, where I'm uh, at nniskanen, N-N-I-S-K-A-N-E-N. Uh, and uh, my uh, website where I have everything linked uh, and I write a blog post every Monday, uh, mm-hmm. which is at ninaniskanen.com. Perfect. Links, as always, in the show notes. Nina, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This has been, <laughs> this has been an absolute blast. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. <laughs> I just associate it with Wayne's World. Two very enthusiastic thumbs up. (laughs) Wayne's World, party time. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Listeners, stick around next month for two very excellent party time guests. Uh, Our guests will be Cassie Alexander and Victor Manivo. So, both awesome people. They are thoroughly (laughs) excited. Thoroughly recommended. Thoroughly recommended. Uh, Victor is talking about life after NaNoWriMo and selling your NaNoWriMo book. So they're going to be just standout episodes. Can't wait. I, 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 I'm, I'm still waiting to do that. So I think I'll tune into the Victor. <laughs> Excellent. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisnyx. If you like the show, Consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>